Those last two songs are similar in their theme, our dependence on the Lord, our hope. One of them with the pathos of a, of a prayer, the other more of the triumph of embracing that truth. Thomas Dorsey, black gospel musician, gave us precious Lord, take my hand. And then Christ, our hope in life and death, taken from Heidelberg Catechism, question number one, written by a lot of our favorite musicians of today. Ephesians chapter four, please. If you have your Bible bound in a book, you can turn there. If it's digitized on a screen, find your way there. Don't take it from me this morning, but follow along in the text as it presents to us an argument for why you must serve the church. We're in the middle of our Growing Grace campaign. That Growing Grace phrase means this. We're trying to catch a vision of stewardship, a greater stewardship of people and property. At times, the property tends to immediately jump to the forefront of our minds. We need parking spaces. We'd love to use the activity center more. But the reality is the vision and the need for stewardship is in both categories. Properties, yes. We need to be faithful with the stuff God gives us. But we need to be faithful with the people that God brings to this body as well. And so we've been studying stewardship in this series of commitment. Commitment to join the church. Not because your name on a list means something, but because your expression of commitment means something. Commitment to pray for the church. We studied commitment to give to the church. And this morning, commitment to serve the church. But here's what we're up against. Some of the excuses that come to our minds when it comes to serving the church. Topping the list in the old days was, that's the pastor's job, right? Let the paid professionals take care of that ministry stuff. But perhaps a favorite is, I'm too busy. Oftentimes we hide behind something like, well, you know, I would, but I don't really know what my spiritual gift is. I didn't take a test, or it was confusing, the results weren't clear. Or surely somebody else can do it better than I can. I don't know people well enough, it feels like I'd be intruding on them. I wouldn't know where to start. Well, I've never done that before. What if I fail? Like, what if my help isn't really helpful? I wouldn't know what to say. These and other excuses could very well keep you from obedience to God's word for us today. So be careful. Be careful with any objection that comes to your mind to the theme, you must serve the church. Again, I want you to see that argument from the text. And so from Ephesians 4, we're going to highlight seven reasons that argue against whatever thoughts are your in your head, whatever objections, whatever excuses, they're going to argue against those by telling you, here is why you should serve the church. Now, again, by service, we're not talking you need some official title. You don't have to be a pastor or a deacon 
a coordinator, a Sunday school teacher. It may be one of those things, but so much of the doing of ministry in a church is not those things. It's the care that unfolds in in daily, weekly relationships. It's those phone conversations where you pour out your woes and your good friend says, yeah, that's really rough, but you know, here's what you got to do. And, and they just kind of encourage you down that path. And so take heart. There's much of this service going on. But remember, growing grace in this call to commitment isn't saying we're a mess. Nobody's doing anything. So I got to crack the whip and get us going. No, quite to the contrary. There's a lot going on. But the stewardship question is this. Is there anything else God wants from me? So that's, that's kind of a guilt-free question. You don't have to listen this morning thinking, oh, I think he wants me to do this, or maybe I should do that. No, you just hear and you ask the question, Lord, is there something more you want me to do? He might say, you know what? You and all you're doing need to slow down a little. You're becoming the Martha of the two sisters in the Gospels. Busy, 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 but your heart is also crowded and busy. Let's start there first. So say no to some of those things. Odd that the invitation to the message on serving the church might be just say no. But by the Spirit, that may be your response this morning. Ask the question, God, what do you want from me? And be ready to dive into the answer. Ephesians 4, let me read to you verses 1 through 16. Paul, under inspiration of the Spirit, says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying... He ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
In that concluding verse, we have the great goal, but we start back at the beginning of Paul's argument to understand these seven reasons for you serving God's church. That's a lot of points, and so we can only give a few minutes to each one. But my bigger burden is that you would just see them in the text so that the Bible is arguing with you this morning, not just me. We begin in verse 1 where we read, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The main action Paul is calling for is, I urge you to walk worthy. However, that instruction follows an important word, therefore, which means he, he said something that was so significant He is now building on it and feels he's justified in demanding something of you. So what is it he said that he can say, therefore, because of that, I urge you to walk worthy of your calling? Well, as we we interpret scripture, we could recognize that this is a major shift in the entire letter. And we could say it's it's everything he said in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But I think most specifically would be how he just concluded that first part of the book. And he does so with a benediction of sorts. So we only have to look back to verse 20 of the previous chapter. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, because God's great purpose is to receive glory in the church, walk worthy of your calling. Reason number one, Why I must serve the church is to display God's glory. Now, there there are some aspects of this argument where you say, well, I don't understand exactly how God's glory is seen, and it almost doesn't matter if we understand. As long as we believe that God has designed his church with all of its imperfections, all over the city, all these churches are meeting. Some of them, we'd say, are doing a great job, and others are like, they could do better. And even the ones we think are doing a great job are going to look different in all their varieties of gatherings and music and ministries and programs. But in all of God's church, his design is that in the church, he would be glorified. To God be glory in the church. There is our goal, our purpose, our reason for doing what we do our ultimate end in serving. It's to demonstrate by the way I live my life in the church that God is love, that God is patient, that he's kind, that he's giving, that he's truthful. So in all the relationships of the church, I walk worthy of my calling in Christ Jesus to look more and more like him by living as he would live in the church, by showing compassion to people as he was compassionate, by saying, no, 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 that's not right. This is what is true. 
as when he faced the Pharisees. By being both clear about the truth and yet compassionate and gentle as he was with the woman at the well. Calling her out for her dissatisfaction and hiding behind her religion, but demanding that she taste of the water of life and to do so freely. We are to display God's glory. He is to be known and seen because his people are here on earth. His glory, he says, is to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's not only Psalm 19, the heavens declaring the glory of God, but that's because his people are in every corner of the world, revealing his glory. His church is designed to glorify him. And when we start asking, how does the church glorify him? It starts by the way that we live. Are we walking worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. By serving, you show others the character of God. So serve this week. Love others. Sacrifice for them. Take some time and energy and do something on their behalf. Speak truth to them. Why? Because it displays the character of God. Number two, why should I serve the church? Well, to reflect your calling. That's where Paul began. Therefore, yes, because we're supposed to glorify God, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The doctrine of calling, the gospel call, the effectual call, is, is a neglected understanding in many churches. We, we don't think much of the voice of God and the power that it has. Oh, we hear Hebrews, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the thoughts and intents of the heart, and then we always think, of the, well, that's this. Well, it is, because this is the voice of God. But remember Lazarus, dead for three days, already in a tomb with the rock rolled in front of it. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And that voice was powerful. It was quickening. It was life-giving. That's the calling that he's talking about. He's not talking about your call to be a pastor in ministry or your calling. Well, I'm, I found my calling in the IT world or in the medical field or No, he's not talking about your vocation. He's talking about when you heard the voice of God and it awakened you out of the death of deadness in sin. You've been called to become a child of God. We saw it back in chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. When we studied 1 Peter, that was its opening theme. Our hope, this inheritance that is ours, that's what we're called to. 
We're called now to be these pilgrims, but our hope is sure. So we press on on this pilgrim journey, First Peter calls us to. Here, Paul is building on that same understanding. We've been called. We, we heard that call. Now we're in the family of God. We've been awakened by the gospel. Jesus Christ saves us. And now God has promised to continue shaping us more and more like Christ until he comes. So walk worthy of that calling to look like Christ. And what Christ looked like was though he was even leadership, he sets aside his master and teacher robe, he takes a towel and ties it around his waist, and he does the servant work that every one of the disciples should have done. Somebody should have volunteered, anyone but the master. And yet Christ demonstrated to us the the ministry, the serving of a servant. And in asking them, do you understand what I'm doing for you? It wasn't well, of course we do. You, you wipe the dust off our sandaled feet. That wasn't the point. It was setting aside status or who you think you are and recognizing you're never too much to serve because he had already taught them. The great ones among you will be the ones who serve. Once we embrace that, we will understand how serving the church reflects our calling I would ask you this question, is there anything you can do more Christ-like than serving someone? If Philippians 2 says, before he even went to the cross to provide for our salvation, he first humbled himself and became a servant, then we could argue that salvation is rooted in servanthood. The example of Christ is serving. And so, walk worthy this week of your calling. You've been called to be a servant like Christ served. So live it out. Don't don't come next week rightly needing to feel the guilt of having not exercised those servant skills that you received upon faith in Christ. Flex those muscles a little bit and believe Jesus' words that there really is joy in serving. When you serve others, you're walking worthy of your calling. So serve the church this week. Number three, why do we serve? Well, Paul goes on to explain, to argue that our service, our walking worthy, will maintain the unity of the body. So walk worthy of your calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain unity. That word eager is is unique. It actually at its root means to hurry up. Like, it's almost like the child. You know, you tell them we're going to go to the zoo on Friday. Well, parent, you might as well not even tell them that on Monday because you're going to hear about it all week long. When are we going to go to the zoo? When are we going to go to the zoo? When are we going to go to the zoo? They're in a hurry to get there. Well, this idea of being eager to maintain unity means you you know what the end is. We're supposed to be together. So serving means I'm quick to, in a sense, compromise or to at least step back a little from what I think needs to happen, what I want to do, and I'm in a hurry to get to unity. So let me step back and take the role of servant here. 
What, what is it you're thinking? Okay, let's do it. Let's do that. I'm in a hurry. It's, it's, it's the desire. I'd rather unity than sometimes even what we think of rightness, at least my view of rightness. So be quick to unity. Walk worthy of your calling, eager to maintain unity. But then note the foundation of unity. There's one body, one spirit. You're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. In other words, the foundation for unity is truth. It's not we all are the same. Uniformity isn't the hope of unity. No, foundational oneness is. In the sense of the church, that would be doctrine. What has God revealed? Therein we find unity. It's almost like, you know, you can go to certain neighborhoods and all the houses are like pretty much the same floor plan. So you could drive down a street. Our our first home in Liberty uh, was on a couple of streets and there are all these little kind of 30 by 30 Cape Cod boxes. Pretty much the same But there's some nuance. People paint them different. You know, maybe the inside's a little different or they've rearranged a few walls. But essentially, it's kind of the same. Uh, That's kind of what Paul's getting at here. There's a sameness. There's a oneness of foundation. Here's the house you can build. But then you, as the individual member of the body, with your giftings and abilities, you kind of Take that oneness, but you express it in your passion for this ministry or this area of service. By the Spirit, you make some decisions for your family that are going to be different from another. And we don't have to all look alike. We just have to have that generally the same floor plan. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's what connects us. Not that we do everything the same. Not that we love the same music or go about approaching our Bible study the same way or whatever it is. We tend to get bothered when when we're different from someone else and we don't have to be. We have to come back to what is the foundation of our unity. Paul says once that's established, now just serve one another. Because if you're busy serving someone, You're demonstrating before them a humility and a love. Imagine Christ. The text tells us he knew Judas was going to betray him, and yet he knelt before Judas and washed his feet. Chase away dissension with the humility of serving each other. Instead of thinking I'm going to argue them into my position or argue them into we're going to hammer this out until one of us gives, maybe try the approach of washing their feet. Not a guarantee it'll work. Judas left shortly after. But there's an approach here that's worth noting. Are we willing to serve someone? Or is our agenda only to change them? Get them to think like we think or to conform to the way we think they should live. Maintain unity by serving the church. Paul's argument is walk worthy in the life of the church. Remember the goal 
Each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But the argument begins with glory in the church. You're called, walk worthy of that call. There should be a unified spirit in the church because everyone's serving each other. They're not trying to get ahead or prove they're right. He continues now in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's a loaded verse. Grace, given, gift, each word's different, not connected. And so Paul's grab, he's using all his vocabulary here to communicate God has done something for you. He has handed something to you. He's gifted you. Why? Well, verses 8 and following there, 8, 9, and 10 get a little confusing. It quotes the Psalms, telling us he ascended and gave gifts, and then it explains it. The one who ascended, who went up, obviously had to first come down. So it's, it's unfolding that for us. The one who descended, the one who came down, Philippians 2, in the incarnation, is the one who now has gone up, Philippians 2, and is seated at the right hand of God, has received a name that is above every name. He's exalted. So that's what he's saying. That's the Lord we're talking about. And he's given gifts. In his absence, he has not left us alone. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And he's not left us empty. He's given us gifts. That's verse 7. To each one of us. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, reason number four serve the church to steward God's grace. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Unmerited favor in the form of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in you in specific strengths and passions or abilities. Our study this morning is not to try to decide, do I have the gift of hospitality or administration or something else? Rarely is that the concern of Scripture. It lists the gifts, but it gives us zero information about how to figure out which gift is ours. That seems to happen because the Holy Spirit is in us and we're keeping in step with the Spirit, which always leads me to conclude the simplest way to figure out your gift is to to do things for people, to love people. Just keep in step with the Spirit. And maybe you'll never know what your gift is, but you will be in complete obedience to Scripture. Serve the church to steward God's grace that was given to you according to Christ's gift. Why should you serve the church? Well, because Christ has gifted you to do that. So can you see the problem with saying, I just don't think I have much to offer. You are in complete contradiction to the words of God by his Holy Spirit through the apostle in Ephesians 4, 7. Grace was given to each one of you according to Christ's gift. So we cannot say, other than in our passive-aggressive kind of rebellion, I just don't have anything to offer. 
I, I just don't know if, my, if I'm really gifted to serve the church. That is defiance against the truth of what God has said. That is the devil's lie to, to make you feel like you're not good enough, to keep you subdued and beat down by his lies when God says, no, you're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You're his workmanship. Christ is boasting on you, and you're believing the lie of the devil, saying you're good for nothing. So don't listen to that and believe instead that I've received a gift. All your life, you may have watched others shine, so to speak, and you just kind of sat and felt like, well, I can't do that, and I can't do that. Maybe because you weren't made to do that. That wasn't the gift God gave you. So this week, start with a clean slate. Believe I have a specific gift of grace from God to use. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? And sit idly by and see if God doesn't begin answering that prayer in some way. It might not be like you hear some voice from the kitchen, right? But it might be you check your email or you scroll through Facebook because you got bored of doing what pastor said. Just sit and wait. So you start scrolling and you see some need and you think, oh, maybe I could encourage that person. Take that as your answer. Demystify the grace that has been given you according to Christ's gift. And just love people like God loves you. Steward God's grace. Why serve the church, number five, to foster growth, to foster, to nurture growth of God's church. Now, by that, I I don't necessarily mean if we love each other the way we should, people are going to appreciate being loved and our church is going to grow from 180 to 280 in the coming years. That would be all of God's business. Because our language of growth can very much be just right here. What's here? This body could grow. Because what we see here in Ephesians 4 and verse 13 is that building up of the body isn't here measured numerically, though that's completely legitimate. Acts will highlight that. 3,000 were added to the church and another 1,000. And you just see the growth of the gospel. But in this text, he's not saying, oh, keep your eye out for that numerical growth. He's saying, no, growth measured by, do we look like Christ? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the growth we're trying to measure. So when we say serve the church to foster growth, we're saying that by serving others, you're helping them along their pilgrim journey. You're you're provoking them to love and good works. Or maybe they're beat down and discouraged and you're propping them up a little bit. All those one another's that unfold in the New Testament, they're designed to help the church grow. So, verse 12, there, there it is, building up the body of Christ. We're trying to foster that kind of growth. Verse 13 gives us the, the bar, the measuring stick, the fullness of Christ. But that building up of the body, according to the measurement of Christ, all flows out of, verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Or 
to take it out, ministry is such a vague word, right? We, we, we think that's pastoral church stuff. The word is deacon there. It's just serving. It's exactly what Jesus did. He washed their feet. Um, for us, that would be like doing the dishes and stuff, household things that have to get done. So simplify this and realize that when God's people serve each other, what happens next? The text says the body grows to be more like Christ. So serve someone this week. The growth of the church is, is, is kind of waiting like those plants in your garden this summer. You, you nurtured, you fostered the growth of your tomato plants or whatever you had. You went out there and you, you protected them and you fed them with little sticks of fertilizer and whatever you do to grow vegetables, right? You nurtured a garden. You're supposed to nurture the church. Not out of arrogance, like I know better and I'm going to fix everyone, but because you relate to people and you see them struggle or, or you see them doing really well and you might say, hey, can, can you give me a little help? I need a little of that fertilizer. How, I'm struggling. It's all about the growth of the church, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and yet those verses mean nothing unless the saints are doing the labor of serving. So many churches are stunted in their growth, the depth of their growth, the healthiness of their growth. At times, this is due to shallowness in the pulpit, and at other times, it's due to laziness in the pew. We're not hearing those words, the work of ministry or the labor of serving. So for the growth of this church, meaning look around the room and faces and names and say for their spiritual health and for their growth, for their encouragement, for their exhortation, for their rebuke, I'm going to serve the church. Number six, serve the church to promote truth. Here we see that our serving is not merely actions, but it's also words. We don't want to be, in verse 14, children. In other words, you don't want to be a childish, immature Christian. So we no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, so instead of that, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So grow up in every way into Christ. Paul would write to the Corinthian church and say, tear down the strongholds of wrong thinking by bringing every thought captive to Christ. And this is why, uh, we had talked about this like in the men's forum. Whatever the topic of discussion, you're trying to figure out how does this measure up to what we see in Christ? What's raging in our world? What is the culture talking about? Okay, how do I bring those thoughts and ideas captive to what we are taught in Christ? We're trying to promote the truth. Therein is the contrast. Childish tossed about, no real anchor or direction. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Christ. Those are the two options. By serving the church, we promote truth. Are your words keeping people 
stable. Do you know how to address somebody's instability? Could you address the psalmist in Psalm 42, which we sang earlier, when he's saying, what's the use? Seems like no matter how much I try, the wicked still prosper and my life falls apart. Could you address him as he addressed himself? Wait a minute. Why why are you so downcast? Why are you broken up about this? Hope in God. He is your strength. He's in charge of all this. Do your words keep people stable? Or do you see them tossed to and fro and beat up by life and you don't speak the truth? You're not helping them so they're not stabilized. Do you see your friends starting to kind of just, you know, maybe believe some of this stuff about, you know, if we really loved people, we'd accept them the way they are. And, and you see some of your Christian friends, you know, maybe starting to buy into some faulty building blocks of thinking. Well, the contrast is they can be tossed on the wave of all the culture's thinking or by speaking truth, you can help them grow up into Christ. So our words become significant as a definition of what it means to serve one another. Sometimes cooking a meal and bringing it meets the need and ministers even to the soul. And other times it's not actions, it's words of truth. And again, we tend to think that's for the type A people that like to express their opinion. But the Bible is saying it's for the type Christ-like people who recognize that the Holy Spirit in them can lead them to speak truth in ways that build up the body of Christ. Again, I want to pump you up so that you don't believe these lies that you can't do this. When God says, no, I've equipped every one of you for activities and words that serve the church. Finally, we serve the church to exalt Christ. It's really the conclusion because our text began to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Christ on display in the church will bring glory to God. Or going the other direction, the church mimicking, imitating Jesus, growing into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ brings glory to God. But God is glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus. We see it again in verse 13. He's the measure. That's what we mean by walking worthy. That's what we mean by serving one another. And then we see it in the end. As we grow up into Christ, who is the head of the church. The fullness of Christ. We grow into Christ. Glory in Christ. Serving the church exalts Christ. In Romans 8.28, a familiar verse, we know that God's purpose for us, him working all things together for our good, remember, his purpose there in doing that is to make us to be more like Christ. It goes on to say he wants to conform us to the image of Christ, Christ the firstborn and all of us looking just like him. So when you serve the church, in order to help God's people measure up to Christ, 
you now are becoming the instrument by which God is shaping Christ's likeness in others. So in Romans, we just see God says he's going to make us like Christ. But it doesn't tell us how exactly. Ephesians gives one of the means by which God will make you like Christ. He's going to use his church. So when you serve others in the church, when you do that labor of serving, the work of ministry, and help others grow up into Christ, you are the very hands of God. His purpose is unfolding through you to make others like Christ. Philippians 2 reminds us, Christ served us. That's why we're saved. We hear Christ teaching, serve others. That's the path to greatness. Take any of these texts and simply believe that in the language of serving, you are speaking of Christ's likeness. In the busy work of serving, you are becoming like Christ. Oh, I understand. You can serve and your heart and motives can be wrong. But if your heart is truly one of commitment, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to take a little extra time Tuesday night and go out of your way to serve this family or this person. Or I want you to do more than just see that post. I want you to take a minute and maybe privately engage that friend of yours with with some help, with some truth, with some encouragement. Whatever it is this week, know that this idea of serving Christ's church is Christ-likeness on display. It is walking worthy of your calling. It is bringing glory to God in the church. Mark these words there in the conclusion of Ephesians 4.16. When each part, that's you. And I suppose we could start going down each section and naming the names to make it abundantly clear that's, that's you. When each part is working properly, and we can define that with this commitment, saying, Lord, what do you want from me? The body grows so that it builds itself up in love. In our best days at Grace Bible Church, we we have tasted this again and again. In our worst days, the teeth were missing on some of the gears and, and things just didn't turn right because each part is essential. So the argument of Scripture And the plea of the sermon is, every one of us is called today and tomorrow and the next day to serve God's church. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our servant so that he could be our savior. Help us as we seek to glorify you by being faithful servants. May your Holy Spirit guide us into the humility of serving others. We make these requests in the full expectation of being tested this week and in the full expectation of sufficient grace to succeed because Jesus is for us. And with thanksgiving, we make these requests in his name. Amen.